Hello, it is July 2nd. I'm Trent Reinsmith, and it's time for another edition of the Come On Now MMA podcast. So I want to open today discussing Matt Frivola and his fight on UFC on ESPN 11 fight card, which was canceled when his corner man and training partner tested positive for COVID-19. So I think that was the right call to make, uh, even though Frivola tested, if his test came back negative. It's a, it's a dicey situation when you spend a lot of time with somebody and their test comes back positive. So I think this is a case of better safe than sorry. So I understand why that decision was made, and I agree with that decision. And another thing I agree with is the fact that in his story where he spoke to MMA Junkie, that he was paid his win and show money for the canceled fight. And like I said, that's I think that was the right call. But it also opens the door to questions. Specifically, what about the fighters who were supposed to compete on the UFC London event um, back in, in, in March? So when that fight was can that fight when that fight card was canceled, they were supposed to be paid their. We were kind of told that they were going to be paid their show money, I think. And then Ariel Hawani reported that no one on the card received more than twenty thousand dollars, and that was a kick in the head, considering that former welterweight champion Tyron Woodley was supposed to fight on that card, and. $20,000 is a far cry what from Woodley's show money. But yet, that's what, that's what he got according to Helwani's report. And so, this is another reason why there should be a fighters association. So now you have the same type of situation here. One man gets his win and show. I don't know how many fights were on the London card, but I'm going to guess 12. 24 other fighters get less than their show. Some might have been, some might have got their show on the, the, the lower card, but near the top of the card, 20,000 is not the show money for, for many fighters that are going to fight near the top of a card. But yet, that's what they got. So, what's the difference? Why the different decision? I'm going to guess the different decision was because of the number of fighters. When you're paying for Vola, that's one guy. When you're paying 24 fighters, that's a different situation. But the money's budgeted regardless and so that money was already budgeted to pay these fighters in London. And at the very least, they should have gotten their show money. But I would argue that they should get their their winning show because this was out of their control. And the UFC told them that this fight was going to go on. This, fight, this event was going to go on even though it was a somewhat tenuous situation because they really didn't know it was gonna, if it was going to go on or not. So the UFC is telling you, 
yes, it's going to happen. So the fighters keep training, and then it gets canceled. And we know that at least one American fighter had traveled from the U.S. to London for the event. So that's a huge inconvenience. And then that fighter has to turn right around and, you know, go right again, fly back to the States. So a fighters association would be able to negotiate a deal here where here's the, here are the different situations for a fight card getting scratched. And here's how the UFC is going to pay the fighters under these scenarios. There's no quote-unquote favoritism. There's no this fighter gets this, this fighter gets that. It's all by the book. And if, if it ends up being just show money then it ends up being just show money. If it ends up being show and win, then that's what it is. I would guess it's probably it would probably start off in the early days of a, an association with show or a set num a set negotiated fee. And then as an association gets a little more powerful and has a little more to negotiate with, that's when you can start making deals where you can get a win in a show payment for these fighters. But the arbitrary decisions the UFC makes, they need to end, and there needs to be consistency. Because a fighter can't not know what's going to happen in a certain situation, and then they're, they're totally dependent on the UFC's uh, goodwill and... We know more often than not the UFC does not have much goodwill to extend to its fighters, especially when it comes to money. So I don't like, while I like that Favola got winning show and I would hope that more fighters in this kind of situation get winning show, I don't like the fact that the UFC London fighters got no more than 20 grand and I don't like the fact that sometimes these things happen and we never know what they're going to get. Now people assume that the UFC pays everybody when these these kind of things happen. But I think that's a false assumption because no one in the UFC or that works for the UFC has ever said, we always do A, B, and C. That's never happened. And so fans and media, they tend to think, well, it happened this time, so it's got to have happened every other time. Not true. Not true. And, and we can look at this example as 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 proof of that the london fighters got no more than 20 frivola got one and show and there was no real difference between the situations so i again another reason fighters need a fighter association well we have another come on now and this one goes to colby covington Spoke to BJPenn.com about leaving American Top Team. And this is what he had to say. My brand was being held back at American Top Team. I have nothing but respect for Dan Lambert. The guy's been nothing but a mentor and a good friend. But you cross the line when you try and tell me I can and cannot do in the professional fighting business. We're getting locked in an octagon to kill each other, take each other's brain cells, send each other to the morgue. And you're worried about some words that I might be saying. It sounds a little petty and a little childish, and I didn't have time for that anymore. I I got big 
big business to take care of. And then he went on, blah, 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 blah. And said, yeah, that was the ending of our relationship as a team and being a part of that team anymore. You're not going to tell me what I can and cannot do. Your team's name is American Top Team. Just think about that for a second. American Top Team. What are our constitutional rights in America? Don't, do we not have freedom of speech? Okay. So, come on now. American Top Team is a business, and therefore, whoever runs that business has every right to uh, and place and enforce rules for that business. And if that rule is no trash talking, then that's the rule. If you don't like it, you leave. And that's what Colby Covington eventually did. But to bring up freedom of speech just tells me you don't understand what freedom of speech is. Because that has nothing to do with a private business. It has everything to do with the government and not a private business. So the government's not involved here. The government's not stifling your freedom of speech. The person who runs the show at American Top Team is telling you what you can and cannot do if you want to belong to his gym. And that's how a job works. And that's how a gym works. And that's how society works. So if you don't like it, you can either leave or shut up. Covington elected to leave, but don't blame Lambert and don't blame a lack of freedom of speech on this because that's not that's not what happened here. And I mean to say that Covington's brand was being damaged. I mean, what is this brand? It's hard to damage a brand that its goal is to do nothing but irritate people and, and poke people, you know, figuratively poke them in the eye and, and poke them in the chest. This kind of, this kind of, what happened here kind of works perfectly for Covington's brand in that he paints himself as the outsider, as the, you know, he's against the, the man and he's just, you know, no one, no one understands him. And, and, and so this, this, this works right for him. So now he can say, I got run out of this gym for speaking my mind. This plays right into his hands. I don't know. The whole thing seems kind of silly, and, and he's right. It is silly, but it's silly on the other side. So, I, I, you know, just to bring in freedom of speech is dumb, but it is what it is, and it fits Colby Covington's brand to a T. Well, we got a second. Come on now. And it just popped up on my Twitter feed here. And John Cavanaugh to ESPN, and this is the quote. I've had a few UFC fighters pull me aside fight week and say something along the lines of, I might not like your boy, speaking of Conor McGregor, but we should all be sending him 5%. He changed the game for all of us. This sounds kind of like something that, that, that Trump would say when he says that you know people come up to him in, in Detroit and Baltimore and whatnot and thank him. 
which we know is, isn't true. So I'd like to know exactly what what these fighters should send 5% of their money to Conor McGregor for. Because the most important thing for a fighter probably is pay and benefits. Benefits haven't changed. Pay hasn't changed. McGregor won't fight on a pay allegedly won't fight on a pay-per-view card where another fighter will get pay-per-view points. So that's that's changed for the negative. McGregor changed the game for McGregor. He did not change the game for any of the other UFC fighters. If that was the case, John Jones wouldn't be sitting out. Jorge Masvidal wouldn't be sitting out. Amanda Nunes wouldn't be contemplating retirement. Henry Cejudo would probably still be fighting. So there's no game change here. The game change was a change for McGregor, a change for McGregor's bank account. No one else has, has seen a positive change because of Conor McGregor. I, 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 I don't believe that for a second. Now he's maybe, maybe he's shown that there's an upper limit that no one else has reached. But you can bet the UFC is none too anxious to have another fighter repeat that because they, by enabling McGregor, they've given him, they gave him more power and then they had to pay him more. So they don't want to see that. So I think this is kind of a myth-making statement. I don't understand it. And I don't believe it for a second. So come on, John Cavanaugh. There's been some information about the uh, the Ultimate Fighter floating around, and I don't know when it's coming back, and I don't know who's going to be coaching it. But I'm not. I don't. I don't really care that it's coming back. I'm much more interested in the Contender Series coming back. Tough never did it for me, and I'm not gonna. No matter who the coaches are, I'm not gonna watch it, unless someone pays me to watch it, and even then. I'm not going to be overly exuberant about it because I find nothing appealing to the whole reality TV um, idiot parade. But it's there and it's going to make money for somebody. So it'll happen. But I spoke about this before and I, and I, and it still bothers me. During this whole shutdown and during the time where the UFC is the only real sports game in town, it could have been innovating. It could have done a lot of original programming that ESPN probably would have took. It could have done so much, and yet it did nothing, really. The promotion really did nothing to to capitalize on this This. The situation where there are no other sports in it is running, and that confuses me. But I also think it's par for the course for Dana White, in that he 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 finds something that works, and then it's straight down the line with that until the wheels fall off. He doesn't innovate. He doesn't really change things up doesn't try anything new 
It's just down the line. This works. We know this works. Why should we change anything? You should change something because maybe it'll work better. This is the same kind of thinking that that crushed Kodak when someone brought Kodak the first digital camera. They thought it was silly and they overlooked it and now where's Kodak? So try something new. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, you go back to what you, uh, what you had. There's no harm in trying and, and failing. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe White is someone who has this... Uh, his ego is so immense that a failure, even in, a, even in an effort to change things up in a positive way, will be looked upon, in his mind, as just a, a failure and nothing good ever comes out of a failure. And that's not true. If, if, if people had that kind of thinking, where would we be? You know, an inventor or an artist has probably failed hundreds or thousands of times before they come upon what they, what they want to, to create. And even then, maybe they end up creating something totally by mistake that works. And how many times has that happened? in science and in other, in other things in, from people that create. So the fear of failure shouldn't, shouldn't stop anyone and the fear of something new shouldn't stop anyone. But yet here we are, another useless season of The Ultimate Fighter that very few people will watch in the big picture and... The UFC will make a minimum amount of money from it when it could have really been using this time to come up with something new and exciting and get people really interested in the UFC and its fighters. And, and also maybe that's it. Maybe the, maybe the UFC doesn't want to have fans connect with the fighters because then that makes the fighters bigger than the brand. And we know, God forbid, that that happens. So, I just don't understand Dana White's thinking sometimes. And I have to think that there's some people within that organization that are trying to innovate that get held back because the buck stops with White and he's stuck on his, his same thinking for years and years and years. And... That has to be frustrating. And it's frustrating for me to cover this sport to see nothing's changed and there's not innovation and there's not anything new. And it just... You go to every arena all over the world and the broadcast is ex the same except the B-roll of the videos. So why even... I don't know. It's just... It's, like I said, it's frustrating... And it will, it, 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 it's not helping the UFC to not innovate and to not try new things. Dustin Poirier spoke to Ariel Hawani about his fight with Dan Hooker and a lot more. 
a lot more came up in the interview, so I wanted to play some clips from that and then comment on uh, what what Poirier had to say. So, you know, and uh, I'm taking extra precaution with my brain, obviously. You know, I, I got hit a lot in that fight. Probably one of the most shots that I've taken, you know, most uh, strikes that I've had landed against me in, in a fight, I think. Yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you about that because I was talking about this on, on Monday with DC. Just, you know, these these fights are awesome, right? And you always want to win. But at any point, are you concerned that you're taking too much damage at this juncture in your career? Because you've been around for so long. Does this does this make yeah. you at all? Yeah, every time out. I'm, uh, you know, I, I, the thing is, Ariel, I love this sport so much. But at the same time, I, I can't love it to where it, it kills me. Not, not, not to say that I'm going to die in, in the octagon but to, to where it takes a part of me that I can never get back um, in the future. And we don't know the long-term effects, you know, and 30 years from now, I might realize that I, I took too many shots, but right now I'm just doing precautionary stuff, you know, taking a lot of fish oils, taking a lot of turmeric, CBD, uh, lion's mane mushroom, not drinking alcohol. You know, I didn't drink and party after the fight. I wanted to let my brain rest mm. and uh, just trying to be smart, man, and be, and be mature about the whole thing. Cause like you said, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, but but that that being said, I feel great. You know, I, I never have any problems. This is uh, the thing that a lot of people either ignore willingly or just don't think about is that these fighters pay are paying a big price, and not all of them will acknowledge that. I think a lot of people in this sport just kind of push that to the back of their minds because they know what the long-term consequences can be and they know they're being underpaid to do what they do and I think with with someone like Poye a fighter who is always going out there and giving it his all and is fighting the best in his division for a long time he knows he's paying a price. And ideally, as in football, when you when you pay that price, you get you get you get it back in 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 in, in your paycheck. That's not the case in, in MMA. So Poye's paying these big prices and he's not going to Unless something drastic changes, he's not going to get that that same monetary payback where he's going to get generational wealth. So he might be in a situation where he doesn't have to work when he retires from MMA. He might not. I would say he's judging that he got 300000 here. And then he has to pay taxes on that and, you know, pay out his coaches and whatnot. He's probably not in a situation where he's going to pass a lot of wealth on to his, his daughter. And he should be able to do that with how long he's been fighting and with the level he's been fighting at and the amount of respect he has from his peers and allegedly from the UFC. He should be, like his coach said, like Mike Brown said, this guy should be making seven figures a fight. He's not. So 
that needs to change. This thing, this thinking needs to change because of the price that these guys are paying. And if if they're willing to express that now, that's that's a big step in the right direction. I thought the uh, the 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 final sequence, like right after the fight was over, where you were kind of just standing there and he was being tended to, and then you kind of went over to him. I found that to be fascinating because you gave us maybe, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of respect between you guys leading up to the fight, but you gave us a window into the fact that maybe you didn't like some of the things that he said leading up to the fight about, uh, I think maybe you were referring to the fact that he was saying like, oh, people are going to have to start calling me out after I win and talking about, you know, Ferguson, Connor, et cetera. Were you annoyed by some of that talk? And was that your way of being like, hey, man, next time, like, don't put the cart before the horse? Yeah, don't don't count the chickens before they hatch, you know. But the thing is, too, at the same time is I don't watch like my opponent's interviews or read their articles. All, only thing I'm getting news from is headlines. So wow. if I'm on Twitter and I see the headline, Dan said, whatever, you know, so a lot of that stuff can be twisted and, and clickbait stuff that he might've said those things, but didn't say it in that demeanor or in that way, you know? So, uh, but I don't hold anything against these guys. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Even if he said all of that stuff and meant it, meant it in, in, uh, in an asshole way, good for him. He's supposed to, if he'd have beat me, he would look even better after saying all that stuff. You know, the, the sport these days is a fashion show, man. It's a fashion show. What do you mean by that? I mean, it's, it's, it's what you say. And of course you have to perform, but it's what you say and what headlines you put out there. And, and, uh, not, so, I'm not, I don't mean it as like what you wear or clothes, sure, but it's just, sure. a, it's a fashion show, man. It's just who can peacock and, and do all this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dying breed, man. I'm, I'm one of the old school guys who come out here just to scrap, just bleed. And, and I'm, I do it for the love of the, uh, the battle, man. This is one thing I, I I really like about fighters like Dustin Poirier and Jim Miller. They've been around for a long time. They're well respected. And they're always giving their maximum effort. They're always going after the finish. And they're they treat it like a job. They go in there. There's no frills really. There's no trash talk. There's no histrionics. There's no blown up persona. It's just two guys that love what they do. And and they're going to keep doing it. And I think that sells itself. It, it, it definitely sells itself to, to the other fighters. You saw what happened on social media when Jim Miller beat Roosevelt Roberts. A lot of fighters were praising him. Um, same with Dustin Poirier. He gets a lot of praise from other fighters. And in a sport like this, where it's a, an individual sport, and sometimes fighters can be reluctant to, to praise each other because they might have to fight each other at some point. It, it's rare to see that kind of appreciation for another another fighter. So, if if I could have, I mean, if I could have, if I well, it wouldn't be my top wish, but it would be near the top. If I could have a, a wish, it, one of them would definitely be to uh, cut out this bullshit acting, and you know, as as. 
Poirier says here, peacocking. It's unnecessary. I mean, the fact that you're fighting another person in a cage, that's enough. That's enough to show, to tell me that you're a little different and that you're, uh, you're wired a little different and that you're a competitive person. And that's enough for me to, to appreciate. I don't need... I don't need anything extra. It does nothing for me. Um, I'm going to guess it does nothing for a lot of the fighters. And it probably does a lot. It probably does nothing for a lot of the fans. But for the, for the, for the, uh, I guess for the casual fans, it does something. But it's really useless. And I appreciate folks like Poirier and, and Jim Miller for just doing what they do. And doing it over a long, a long time, and doing it at a high level. So, I would, I hope, I hope fighters like this don't change, and I hope fighters that are coming up, kind of emulate people like Poirier and and Miller more than they emulate people like Covington, or McGregor. Being comfortable in your own skin is such a powerful thing. Do you remember when you were able to finally feel that way? Like, was there a turning point in your life and career? It definitely started happening after the Conor McGregor loss. That was like, really? the, that was the, yeah, that was the start of it, you know, and it's been a long process mm -hmm. and then being a father and then losing again and, you know, winning some and losing again and, and then winning another one. It's just a long evolution of stop caring so much. You know, you just stop caring about this, the noise and the stuff that doesn't matter. Why that fight? Why do you think that's the one that started it? Because a lot of times in my younger career, I, f I felt like it was life or death. You know, every comment on Instagram and Twitter, you know, every uh, journalist who said something or, you know, I felt like everybody was against me. I felt like uh, if I lost, I would be written off. It's the end of my career. You know, I'm a bum if I lose this fight or it's just... And then you lose a few times and you realize, oh, shit, I can still put this back together. Oh, man, I'm still providing for my family. I'm, I'm still loving what I do. It's, it's like you've been bent but not broken a lot of times. And I feel like it made me stronger. And it made me the man I am today, man, I'm happy. I'm just like I'm genuinely happy. This was a, a really good interview. And I think... Poye really told us a lot about himself that maybe we didn't know here. But for him to to realize this, I, I think, was a real turning point. And you can see that's the turning point. So he lost to McGregor. And then he realizes, you know, this isn't the end of the world. He, he realizes he's at the top of the, you know, he's making his way towards the top of the of the food chain and I think when you realize that your job is safe and you can recover from a loss and rebound with a win and that you can shake these losses off they don't have to stick with you I think that's a freeing thing for a fighter it allows them to be under less pressure and just perform and at their best without worrying about you know losing their job 
and now they, they they still have to worry about losing half their pay, which sucks. But they know they'll they'll still have a job um, after a loss, and that they have enough conf. Now they've developed enough confidence to bounce back from that loss. So, Poye saying that and acknowledging that that's that's good to see, and I think it was a very. I think he's. I think it's for real because we. You look back, and that's really where things turned around. And he started being a, a, well, maybe not a different fighter, a more confident fighter, a more competent fighter, and someone who felt good about themselves and is free in 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 every way um, once they're in that octagon. So. Very good interview with Dustin Poirier. Um, I think he expresses a lot of things that younger fighters should should think about. And, you know, the less pressure you feel, the better you'll probably perform. And hopefully that will allow these uh, other fighters to you know, move their way up in the ranks and not not worry about job uh, security and that that creates better fighters better fights more entertaining fights and hopefully higher paid fighters so like I said excellent interview with Ariel Hawani from Dustin Poirier I think it's maybe 20 minutes maybe more maybe closer to half hour but definitely check that out um, get a good a good understanding of of Dustin Poirier's thinking. With that, going to wrap it up and have a good holiday. But most importantly, stay safe. Mm-hmm.